we are now going to continue our coverage um, of the COP26. Uh, we are facing a climate crisis, and I would now like to go directly to introduce our next guest. Uh, Tina R. Gerhardt is an environmental journalist. Her work has been published by Grist, the Progressive, the Nation, and Sierra Magazine. She is currently the Baron Professor of Environment at Princeton University. Tina is the author of the forthcoming book, Atlas of Islands in a Rising Ocean. She's covering COP26 for The Nation and Sierra Magazines. Tina Gerhardt, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's so great to be with you, Margaret. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, and uh, Tina, I'm actually so glad uh, that I played um, Prime Minister Mia Motley's uh, speech before this because I could see that your the latest article, I've been following your coverage and the work you've been doing at COP26, uh, talks about the island nations. But before we get to that, Tina, um, the what do you think of the guidelines, the the supposed guidelines that have come out uh, just early today uh, from governments of COP26. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about the Motley clip. I mean, it's it's so powerful. I'm glad you played it. Um, there, was, there was a draft of the latest negotiating document that was released this morning. Um, it had a timestamp of 5.51 a.m., so it suggests that negotiators were working through the night on it. And it included a few things that nations from the global south and NGOs and activists welcomed. Um, and I, I agree with, with the criticism that you mentioned in the opening introduction of this, too. The things that they thought were good about it, to start with the good news, are firstly that it calls for emissions reductions of 45% uh, based on 2010 levels by 2030. And it demands that all nations revisit, quote, revisit and strengthen, end quote, their 2030 targets by next year. Um, so that's half, you know, the cut, the 50% cut that you mentioned in the opening. But that new part of revisiting and strengthening targets by next year is really important because there isn't, there hasn't been enough ambition on the part of the nations that are most responsible for uh, for CO2 emissions or greenhouse gas emissions um, across the board. And so what developing nations in UN speak are now doing is they're asking for nations to report in every year. The Paris Agreement says they have to report in every five years. That, that was the first time that they had those kinds of time limits even included, and now they're asking for every year, and I think that's great. Um, the other... The other thing that it includes, and I'll get to the downside in a sec too, the other thing that includes that it's great is the F word, and don't worry, I'm on radio, I'm not going to say that F word. It includes fossil fuels. That was included for the first time with a demand to accelerate the phase out of coal and subsidies for fossil fuels, end quote. There's no specific reference to the end use of oil and gas. That's something nations are pushing for and would love to see, but it is notably the very first time that fossil fuels are included in this document. Now, the downsides for both of those the NGOs and activists have been pointing out is there might be a call for those reductions, but there's a difference between pledges or promises and policies. So there's a difference between you know, saying that you're going to do something and actually doing it. That's that climate. That's That was what was uh, at the heart of the climate action tracker report that came out yesterday that you were mentioning. Also, the Washington Post did this phenomenal um, article 
that I think they've spent at least the last six months on that your listeners might want to look for that was trying to track they basically they added up all the commitments that people have made um, and countries have made and whether or not they added up and found that lo and behold shockingly they um, they didn't and part of it is you know this issue of pledges and promises versus policy um, the other thing that NGOs criticized in terms of it's great that fossil fuels are being mentioned in there but like I said there's no specific um, end date and there are countries that are really starting to push for this. Um, Colombia and Denmark, I believe, um, off the top of my head, are two nations that are trying to set up a group to really agitate for a specific end date for the use of fossil fuels, which obviously would be huge. And it's unclear, your listeners should know, it's unclear whether this language that we're discussing right now that's in the draft, whether that's going to be included at the end of the day. Right. Well, so we have a long, a long, long way to go, uh, Tina. Now, tell us at the top of the hour, I played the clip of Simon Kofi from Tuvalu standing knee deep in water uh, addressing COP26 and also Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley's uh, speech. Tell us the significance, you know, because when people think of small islands and they think, well, this is just an insignificant uh, group of people. But as you say in your article for the nation, these are 47 countries with a population of 730 million uh, people. Tell us a bit more of um, what, uh, you know, your thesis, the points that you make in your most recent article about the significance of what the small islands are trying to do. I mean, the small island states, you know, in terms of what Mia Motley from the clip that you mentioned, you know, um, I mean, it's it's in what she said, you know, in the words of Caribbean icon Eddie Grant, will they mourn us on the front line, right, end quote, is, is what she said. And I think I think this COP is, is um, really brought on the heels of um, COVID-19 has really brought, excuse me, to attention um, the, you know, the vaccine of apartheid that exists and how in some ways that's very similar in terms of the climate crisis and who is and is not getting funding. So the developed nations caused this crisis due to their emissions historically, um, you know, going all the way back to, to colonization. And there's, you know, all sorts of things one could say about the dating of the beginning of the climate crisis, the Anthropocene, as some call it. And a lot of people do argue that you shouldn't start with the invention of, of you know, say, the steam engine. And in the U.K., you should start with the slave trade um, and, and focus on from Africa to the Caribbean, focus on that era and that geography, just in terms of who who you include. Um, but to come, come back to the situation of islands and the two examples that you mentioned being located in the Caribbean, Barbados in the Caribbean, and then uh, Tuvalu being located in the Pacific, these are these are frontline communities that have done the least to cause the climate crisis. They've contributed negligible amounts of uh, of greenhouse gas emissions, and yet they have been for at least a decade disproportionately suffering the impact. And one of their key focuses, and that's what I wrote about in the article that I published with the Nation yesterday that you're mentioning, which really focuses on islands, developing nations in general, including. Um, island nations are demanding four things with regard to funding that developed nations pay up right away on this one billion per year that was promised to them in 2009 that was supposed to start in 2020 that hasn't all, all been paid and it's supposed to go through 2025 
Um, secondly, that they increase their contributions over time. Given what I just mentioned, that, that historical responsibility or climate debt for creating the crisis, you could also refer to this as climate uh, reparations, and also because climate change impacts are intensifying. And then thirdly, that these monies be outright and not debt-creating loans. That's been a huge problem is that some of these monies come in the form of loans. And we're talking about like 10 to 20 to 30 percent of nations' um, GDP going towards addressing uh, climate change impacts. So it's a huge their money. And some of these nations are faced with the decision of, wait, okay, I have a limited amount of funds here. Do I use it to address the impact of the hurricane that came through last week, or do I use that money to pay off the debt that I owe to, you know, be it the IMF or the World uh, Bank, et cetera. And then fourthly, they're demanding that developed nations, because of what I just mentioned, be freed of debts to developed nations or these entities so that they don't have to consider whether or not, you know, they're going to use the money for this or for that. So I think that's really important. We're talking these, some of these nations are only, um, like the Marshall Islands is in the Pacific. It's only six and a half feet above sea level. It's, it's an atoll. It's entirely flat. And when there's, there's a hurricane, um, that comes through or just, just the, the, the floods that come with the high tides, they have buildings that are inundated and in, in, uninhabitable. They have, their soil gets salinized. So salt water gets into their soil. And um, then the, the plants can't grow. The salt water also gets into their wells. They don't have a source of freshwater drinking water, so they rely on wells. And when the salt water gets into those wells, they don't have a source of drinking water. And then they're confronted with a double whammy of too much salt water, not enough fresh water because they have droughts often. So these are some of the things these nations are already dealing with. And when Mia Motley called for more funding on adaptation, that might be UN language. Um, it's like, what does that even mean? Um, adaptation is when you have to pay for things to address the effects of the climate crisis. So that would be like managed retreat, moving people or infrastructure inland. And right now that's not getting enough money. What's getting more money is the thing she mentioned called mitigation. And mitigation is reducing emissions. That means, you know, like shifting from um, fossil fuels to renewable energy. That's really important, but these island nations are not contributing that much in greenhouse gas emissions. So, like, for them to get renewables is, is excellent, um, but what matters more is the fact that they already are feeling these impacts. So that's where they need the money. And the money, unfortunately, is going more now to these, you know, mitigation um uh, mitigation efforts rather than adaptation. Right, and and in your article, you quote um, the uh, Minister of Climate from Grenada, another uh, Caribbean uh, frontline island, of saying mitigation is a marathon and adaptation is a sprint. And just your final thoughts on this. I mean, I I, I was going to ask you to explain what was meant by adaptation, so I'm glad you I'm glad you <laughs> did because it does seem to me. I mean, I'm part of a movement that's calling for a care income for people who care for people as well as for the environment. And it sounds as though what the global south is saying, look to the global north, you all need to pay up. The adaptation has to do with the money that's needed to make the necessary uh, changes, right, um, to mitigate uh, what's happening with the hope that we're not already past the tipping point. Just your final thoughts, uh, Tina Gerhardt. 
I mean, this is the decade for action, right? If, if we are going to succeed in keeping global temperatures from increasing no more than 1.5, this is the decade for action. So net zero by 2050, you know, listen to Greta Thunberg, blah, blah, blah. We need, we need action and concrete commitments this, this decade, which means they have to start now. It doesn't mean they start at the end of the decade. Absolutely. And Tina, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us because I imagine it's really difficult keeping up with everything and then producing as many articles as you have. Um, We're going to try to call on you again. We're not sure we'll have some success, but we're glad to have you uh, today. And we hope that you'll be back to fill us in a bit more about what is happening. Tina Gerhardt, thank you so much for your work and thank you for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you.